94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for making time. Um, This morning, we reported that the CDC has changed its guidance for schools. The CDC said this morning that it is relaxing, revising its guidance on social distancing in schools. They're saying that most students can now sit three feet apart instead of six feet as long as they are wearing masks. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, our our question to start off things is, you know, like, how is this going to affect reopenings for Hawaii schools? Will we see changes in the timeline or in the guidance that the schools are getting? Uh, Well, thank you for bringing this up. This is definitely critical news. We're hoping to really advance a lot of in-school, you know, in-the-classroom learning right after the uh, spring break, which is to say around April 6th. We've been in constant communication now with uh, the teachers and the representatives and the other unions that help run our schools and the parents, okay? So we're doing this right. We, we were happy to see that last night, but you did emphasize the most important point, and that is, yes, students are safe when they're three feet apart, but they must be wearing masks to achieve that safety. Mm. So not just throwing caution to the wind, what the CDC said was very specific, that if other measures to mitigate spread of COVID are in place, like wearing masks, wearing the face guard, face shield, then the kids are safe. And I don't want anyone to confuse this with some kind of, you know, approval or okay to have adults out in public or at other restaurants getting within three feet. That's not what this is about. This is specific to schools because they already had studied the rates of spread in schools versus the rate of spread when kids were out of school. And it turns out that schools were safer because there's more discipline. There's the mask wearing discipline. There is the, the obvious necessity to not send your kid to school if they're sick, if they have any symptoms that could be COVID or anything else. So this was landmark. This was absolutely critical to reassure our teachers, our educators, our, our school systems, but it should not be translated to change as of now out in society. But the bottom line is the following. If you are wearing a mask and someone else is wearing a mask and you guys are together, your likelihood of spreading COVID is utterly low. You should still do six feet apart, but it's utterly low. And more than that, if you've been vaccinated and you're wearing a mask, you simply are not going to catch or transmit COVID, period. It's just not going to happen. There would be some, you know, tiny numbers that have to worry about that. And so that is the approach until we get to herd immunity in society. So get your vaccines, everybody, if you believe in it, which I do personally, and wear a mask when you're out in public, and we will end COVID. Got it. Thank Thank you. you. With this new guidance from CDC, do you think we will be seeing a return to in-person learning for middle and high schoolers sooner? Yes. This was one of the barriers. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. One Mm -hmm. of the main concerns that our educators had was this three-foot business, because it flies it has flown in the face of everything else that we've been talking about mm. hearing about for a long time but the the best thing you can do sure is to still have six feet apart but because the cdc is giving us some guidance that they have not worried as much it's not as big a deal and remember our goal really has been to protect the the adults because the adult population are the ones who tend to get very sick with covid our children not so much Now, we don't want spread between children, of course. That's why we're still having people wear masks. We haven't been able to get a vaccine authorized for even uh, consideration yet for kids. But 
the most important thing is to prevent large spread. And so I think high schools are safe and high school students are safe and middle school students are safe. They're also easier to um, just tell they ha- tell them that they have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. The, the young ones, they're a little less consistent. If kids are seven, eight years old or even younger, sometimes you have a hard time with compliance. So I hope that schools will open up much more broadly because of this, uh, because of this uh, determination by the CDC. I will say this. There's no question schools have to go back to normal in the fall, totally normal. Mm-hmm. And this fourth quarter is our, should be our, our testing ground where we get used to, you know, comfortable with some mask wearing, comfortable with more and more of our people being vaccinated. It's just really not that large a risk. Uh, I was telling the teachers last night, uh, and I know these these are apples and oranges a little bit, but I was telling them there was a lot of uncertainty in the hospital when we were going back. There was no vaccination available, and nurses and and nurses' aides and doctors and and administrators, they just didn't know how to approach things. So what we did was we just made sure that everyone was wearing their mask and everyone was washing their hands and staying six feet apart as they could, but it was not possible to stay six feet apart because you had to be with your patient. So all we had was masks and hand washing, really, and it worked. We had extremely little spread at the hospitals and facilities. So this will also work for schools, but the teachers will be able to stay six feet apart, and I think we'll be fine. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor, just to reiterate the fact that CDC (laughs) is talking about students, three feet apart for students, not for the general population, correct? That's exactly right. It's just students in the classrooms. Three feet is acceptable. Okay. We should still endeavor to be as careful as we can, and they need to be wearing masks. All right. Got it. Uh, I I wanted to talk about the AstraZeneca vaccine just really quick, uh, because we've been hearing a lot about it. Uh, You know, the European Union was using it, then they stopped. Uh, Now, apparently, they've cleared it, so it's going to start again. Uh, Is there a reason why you think it hasn't passed through um, our side of things yet? Yeah, I do. I think that when they do the safety checks and they vet all of the data, if there's even the least little uh, concern, it slows the process down. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the case of the United States, we probably have enough vaccination between Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson shot now that to vaccinate our whole country by the summer. So I don't think there's the same urgency. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. And two, look, there, there, there are questions now that have been raised. It appears that they are sorting through that. The question at, at hand for people who are listening to this about AstraZeneca was whether or not people had a higher risk of blood clot. Mm-hmm. And so because they felt that they had seen that in the data, they stopped things. Now, I have not seen the most updated data, and I'm obviously going to trust the scientists in Europe and, and across the country, our country. But look, we are getting enough of a supply now with R3. So we'll see what the FDA does or says. It's you know, it's always a little bit unfortunate if they have to reverse decisions because that, that creates doubt. And doubt in this circumstance could be uh, devastating. So, you know, I'm still kind of watching life just like everybody else to see what their ultimate findings are. Uh, but I think right now our focus is on manufacturing a lot more Johnson & Johnson. They're mm-hmm. in partnership, I believe, with Merck. And then also making sure we get as much Pfizer and Moderna, which has been very popular here in Hawaii, over the next few weeks. We now are getting lots more doses. We were projected to get 66,000. I think we're going to get, I believe, over 80,000 doses this week. Oh, That's nice. what I heard from one of them here. So we now have 649,080. 
doses that have arrived in Hawaii, 649,080. We've delivered about 515,000, 515,000 doses as of uh, late last night. I'll get to those final numbers later today. So we have a little bit of a cushion. We've scheduled a lot of people now that we're in 1C and we're, and we're doing essential workforce plus 65 to, well, 65 and up, basically, anyone 65 and older. And we're planning on actually accelerating to the next group in 10 days to two weeks. We'll give you an announcement probably next Friday to go to the 55 to 64 category. So we're moving really steadily through. I know your question was about AstraZeneca, and I don't want to just dismiss it. I just think that fortunately we have a pretty good uh, pretty good cohort of vaccines to use either way. Okay. Well, it's okay. just because I also heard in the news today there uh, uh, the United States is making moves to send our supply of AstraZeneca to Canada and to Mexico. So... Because we're so nice like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently. Trying to plug plots over to them, I guess. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sir, I wanted to ask you about continuing the conversation about vaccines. Of course, this week was a really eventful week. Hawaii passed that 500,000 vaccine shots milestone, which is, you know, awesome. Um, also, yeah. I you know, we heard the uh, announcement of the new mass clinic coming up in West Oahu with Queen. So that is a big milestone as well. My question is, so there was some confusion earlier this week and late last week about the opening of, you know, of phase 1C. This is basically, so to clarify for our listeners and Lieutenant Governor, please correct me if I'm, if I misstate anything. But where we are right now is just the beginning of the opening of 1C. So in other words, the priority now is on, the main priority is on Kupuna age 65 and up and on people with those particular serious uh, health conditions that you have outlined for us. And then also just a few of the classifications in 1C. So we're talking about essential workers in hotels, bars, and restaurants. That's the emphasis right now. But I remember earlier this week, now you were on our show last weekend, and fantastically you laid out those exact guidelines. But unfortunately, I heard a number of other reports by other outlets where they were saying, 1C is wide open. Go get your shots now, everybody in 1C. And people in essential workers, you know, sections were were just like people were very confused because they were rushing to the sites and going they're not they're not letting us get immunizations mm. why and there were a couple of days of lag between you know you gave us that clarity but unfortunately people who mm, listened you know to other reports elsewhere got confused there what what happened there and and where what's going to happen moving forward i guess those dudes were wrong <laughs> um so i don't know what to say i you yeah. know it's a I'm not going to blame anybody. There's a lot of information flying around, right? And truth be told, we're, this is the first time we've ever had to do a public health initiative for the entirety of our state. Mm-hmm. So I think there can be some eagerness, and it's very possible someone read a, a, a document or a chart a little bit wrong or were, were a little too enthusiastic. Uh, the idea of opening all of 1C all at once, and I hope that I've never confused anybody about that, is would be too daunting. It would actually not even be practical because 1C includes, yes, 65 to 74, but it also includes any individual in the state that has a chronic illness of any kind. And to open up to all individuals in that category, which would be over 400,000 people all at once, would be counterproductive. We would actually not have the appointments for people. Like Mm -hmm. I just outlined, we've got 649,000 doses in the state, and we've done 515,000 shots. So that leaves about 135,000 scheduled doses going out. 
but it's not 400,000. Okay. And remember people need two shots. So for the most part, so the, uh, the truth is we are opening it up really widely now, but not all the way. And the decision was made uh, by the director of health. And I think this was smart to take care of, as far as people with health problems, those who are at most risk, the most vulnerable, like you said, people on oxygen, people on dialysis, people getting chemotherapy for cancer. Now, I do have some more breaking news for you. It is highly likely, and I'll share this more accurately, it's highly likely that we will open up the 55 to 64 category and more chronic disease, individuals with the broader chronic disease category, around the week of 328, which is not that far away. It's like nine days. We'll, We'll confirm that next week, maybe sooner. But we need these two weeks to get through the 65 to 74 year olds and those individuals that are very vulnerable. Now, I know a few people out there have said, my goodness, I know a 37-year-old with some very severe illness, and that is true. We'll do our very best to get them in now. But if they're very severely ill but don't have those three life-threatening considerations, they're probably okay for another 10 days. Uh, And it's hard because I don't want to ever turn anyone away. But for a public health initiative that has to help a million-plus people, there has to be some got to be some order to it. Mm. So you described it right on the nose. That's where it is right now for this week. By the time we're together again next week, we will likely be reporting that we're about 600,000 doses given, plus the military, which is about another 90,000, and we'll be opening up the next uh, cohort of people. So it's really good progress, but it's not yet to the point where everyone can just go. Now, that date will come. We are expecting to meet our goal of May 1st. We're expecting that that can happen and open up to the whole state the week of, of did I say more? I mean May 1st. The mm-hmm. week of May 1st, we're expecting to open up wide and anyone will be able to make an appointment. That's the commitment that the president has asked us to make, and we will, we will do all that we can to live up to that. Meanwhile, we also have been told a lot more vaccine is going to start coming in, and that helps a ton because we don't want to just do something like many states did. A bunch of states, you know, you you heard stories about this. Turns out we are, I think, the seventh best state in the country for delivering vaccines. But some states just said anybody can come, anyone at all. Uh, and sure, anybody can say that and put out some signups. But if you don't have the vaccine, you don't have the capacity to give those shots. So I think that was a little bit of false hope. And it's better to be organized. I think people have seen that it's been very organized at Pier 2, at the Blaisdale, at the public health um, vaccination sites, at the care homes that Eddie and and Al Yazawa have been running. I mean, people have been doing a really good job. And I shouldn't just say uh, Al, I should also say um, Curtis Toma, too. All those guys, they're keeping this in an ordered process for the director, for Director Char. So that's a better approach because some states actually created more problems. They created spread because you had unvaccinated people standing in line together for five hours. Mm -hmm. That's about the best idea I can come up with. So um, we shouldn't do that. We're doing a good job. And it's really right around the corner because we're going to exceed the milestones that I had set out, which was 600,000 shots by April 1st, 900,000 shots by May 1st, and 1.25 million shots by June 1st. We're going to exceed those milestones and benchmarks. And we're going to be pretty darn close to fully vaccinated then by June 1st. Then it'll just be a a smaller trickle in each week. And that 
that's way ahead of schedule. Remember, earlier in this discussion, we were talking about mid-fall mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Yeah. Soonest. Now we're talking about early summer. So I'm pleased with it, but there's other risks ahead. We are opening schools. We are opening businesses. And, you know, that is... Um, that's something to be mindful of. So I want to, if I can, if you don't mind, tell people, please still, still wear your masks. It, it would really make a big difference to us as a state if, even though we're getting more immunity, if we still wore our masks and didn't gather in large gatherings per the rules, we will come through this smoother rather than what we saw earlier. Got okay. it. Thank yep. you very much. Thank Today you. Today, Josh Green joining us here. So given all of that, I wanted to ask you, that there are a number of states on the mainland that have opened up vaccinations to 16 and up. There's about a, at least a half dozen states. Can you explain for our listeners why we are not there? Uh, because we're more professional than they are. <laughs> That's what I thought you might say. <laughs> just, just, yeah. left them that, yeah, just gave them that softball, didn't you? <laughs> all right. It's the Wild West when they do that. Mm. And I mean... There are a couple states that are so rural that they were unable to find uh, or get people to sign up in the older categories. But if they're doing that, what they're doing is they're going to make it much more difficult for their their kupuna, their 65 plus to get vaccinated. They will be we did not want to set up a competition between 20 year olds and 70 year olds, because unfortunately, when it comes to using the Internet and edging one's way into line, a 20 year old is probably going to get there faster. And so. That is not in a, that's not a good public health approach. Now, if vaccines were, you know, ubiquitous and there was no question that you could get it no matter what, okay, of course, vaccinate everybody, just mm-hmm. walk in. But that is simply not the case. And those states are not being allocated more vaccine than states matched for other populations. Ah, uh, see, that was my population. question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, thank so you very much. Uh, they're basically trying to show off, and that's not helping anybody. <laughs> okay. Got it. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor. A uh, question off of our Facebook page. Uh, any update on the vaccine passport? This is coming from uh, Lisa Suzanne. Uh, she's asking for neighbor island and for mainland travel. Yes, so the update is uh, not that different than last week. So I'm still targeting uh, two things. By May, by, forgive me, by April 15th, by April 15th, our aspirational goal is to be able to drop all of the inner island quarantine rules, period, for inner island travel slash inner county travel. The only impediment right now, and we respect him, we respect the heck out of the guy, but the mayor of Maui has had a small surge. They had 41 cases yesterday. They had 23 the day before and, and seven the day before. So it's a little uncertain on Maui. So they're waiting to see if they can get back down to normal or low digits, single digits. But the rest of the mayors do appear to be more or less ready to do that. And that would be in our interest because we're not really seeing the kind of spread that you'd worry about for inner island travel. That's April 15th. And I think that we will make that goal more or less. Now, for the vaccination passport, it's a larger lift. We are working with some really good companies across the country and locally to make this work. The logistics have to be sufficient that we can verify someone's vaccine passport, that they got the vaccine. We're making progress. My hope is, my hope is that it will be May 15th. We've seen progress. The European Union is doing it. Uh, some small countries have been able to achieve this, like uh, it's going to sound a little weird, but Iceland and Israel um, have been able to do it because they are way ahead of everyone with vaccines. We will get there. And I think that my goal should, you know, should stick, that we should go for May 15th. Every day we're talking to these guys as they work out the technology I will say something that 
some may think it's a little bonkers, but look at it this way. We can trust people to show their vaccine card. And if it's their name and their identification, that is sufficient for me. Now, they would be aware, I'm sure, we will make them aware that if anyone falsifies their document, they're going to get, you know, they're going to get punished with a, a fine and it's going to be hefty. So I don't think that it would be a large problem, but we're still going to try to use good technology just so it's on one's iPhone or what have you. And I think that that's going to be what the reality is for the summer and fall. Beyond that, once we get past November, December, COVID may not be the, the number one reason uh, that people aren't traveling. There may be other issues that we are dealing with. We may very well be at the end of COVID, so we'll see. Uh, but for this year, expect a vaccine passport, expect a, an app. Some of the companies are really cool. I love love what they do. I won't name them today just because I want them to be able to do their work in private. But um, I'm expecting the governor to approve that. And the director of health and I have had some good conversations. It should be a go. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, one quick follow-up. Uh, this one from Bernie Jean Yano. I think it's more of a clarification for her. She says, how come it's okay to allow mainlanders to come to Hawaii and not let us go inter-island without having to quarantine? We miss our families. She's right in, in concept. We should not give mainlanders any special privileges, but the mainlanders who come here, they do have to quarantine and they do have to do the same same uh, safe travels pretest that we do. Mm-hmm. They have to get the test, otherwise they can't uh, avoid mm-hmm. quarantine. But once, you do, the, but once you do the testing, that's the part I think she may be a, a little bit, need a little clarification yeah. on. Because if you get the test before you go, you're fine. You don't have to quarantine. Yeah. It's only if you don't right. if they, want to take the test. Right. If they've gotten the test and then they have, they've satisfied our safe travels requirements, then they can travel. And the same thing goes for her or, or me or whatever. It, I will say it's ironic. Next week, Jamie and, and the kids and I may try to do a little staycation. We chose in this case to stay on Oahu because it's really blunt. We didn't want to spend the money to have to do um, the test. Free test to travel over to you know Maui or Big Island to see our relatives. So mm. I feel her her pain exactly, and that's why I want to get rid of. I mean, not for me, but I want to get rid of it for our whole population, all of our people. The inner island uh, testing responsibilities are not a, they're not a great use of our resources any longer. We should put more energy into vaccinations and masks if we're really going to do something. Uh, but the rules are, uh, they're definitely applying to those who come from the mainland. They have to get the test if they want to travel inner island. Okay, thank you. I uh, wanted to talk about that report that came out uh, earlier this week about the ethnic disparities between um, uh, various population groups here in Hawaii getting the vaccine. And so my question, uh, Lieutenant Governor, is what is causing that? What is causing those disparities? And then what is the state going to be doing about that? So there's a couple things. The disparities are always unacceptable between people of color and and those who are Caucasian. We've seen that over and over again, particularly between the Native Hawaiian population and the Caucasian population. So they've, they've struggled a lot. And that's why the health indicators have been tougher or worse for our, our host culture. And that, that's something that I'm working on constantly. Uh, the, the technical reason of why some of our, like our Pacific Islander community or the African-American community hasn't gotten uh, access to the shots yet is, simply the logistics of whether or not they were in the category of older in the, first it was 75 and older then 65 and older or in the specific uh, subcategories of essential work mm. 
they were made available completely equally. Although there's a couple challenges that exist, and you actually raise a fascinating point. For example, we always know that communities that have less resource and affluence tend to be, um, if not discriminated against, they don't get a fair shake. And it drives me crazy, and it's something that we push back against at all times. But where wealth is concentrated, it's easier to set up infrastructure. And so you saw initially that it was easier to set up the pods for whatever reasons, but mostly because all of the, the workers were mostly here in downtown. And so you had a great pod and it's great work from Pier 2 to, to Blaisdell, but it's another historical reality that it took longer to get out to West Oahu, and that's very frustrating. Now, the good news is today you saw in the papers that we now finally have the West Oahu site going, and I was fighting for that. I was telling them, look, this is a place you want to start with. You don't want to wait till later to do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there are delays. There isn't an, I'm going to be the first to agree that there's an inherent unfairness between ethnicities. And that's something that we all have to push back against and be understanding about. Um, I worked in the National Health Corps. That was my experience. My wife is Hawaiian. She's had this experience with her relatives. And it's just this is an unfairness that has to be overturned. Now, we have actually authorized the director of health to push more aggressively into communities of color. And that's important to note also, and this is not an excuse, but in some cases, the non-Hawaiian Pacific Islanders have had a fair amount of vaccine reluctance or resistance Mm -hmm. because it's not truly a common thing to have people um, coming to their homes or communities with vaccines. So this is a lesson that we've also learned the hard way. And so it just takes extra work. Um, But that's the reasons. Uh, The good news is we will open wide come May 1st. And Right now, it's about as wide as you can imagine, with the exception of, um, you know, that this, this group between about 45 to 65, we haven't yet fully authorized, right, mm-hmm. that are in need of vaccines, but it's coming in about 10 days. Thank you very much, Lieutenant Governor. Okay, so uh, we got you for a little bit, and we know you wanted to give something away. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I know it's in the tradition of radio to do this. Uh, this came <laughs> to my attention from my chief of staff, and it's just something <laughs> a little special, and I... I, I it's an interesting thing. So there's a there's a um, a group of really nice business people, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because we feel strongly in my in my office that we want to support small businesses after the beating that they've taken this year. And so there's a thing called the Aloha Gift Basket, and we're going to give away two of these Aloha Gift Baskets on my Instagram post today. But and I'll talk about that how you do that in a second. But I want to give credit to these guys. They came together. They put together an Aloha Gift Basket to give a bunch of money to charity and they survive as small businesses when they sell these things. Uh, it's not a big deal. It's 30 bucks. Uh, but, uh, Psyche and associates are doing masks. Uh, Fuji, uh, Hawaii and made in hope is giving away like, um, ESO, uh, peanuts and a hope logo. And there's a microwavable bowl by, by Kevin to hero. Just a lot of good people in this little basket. We'll put it on our website. Aloha Dental Associates is doing something. Shimazu Store, Local Joe, Uncle Clay's House of Pure Aloha. These are just nice little companies, and we're going to give away two of these baskets to honor them. Uh, My my, uh, Instagram is at LTGovJoshGreen, at LTGovJoshGreen. So we're going to start giving away more stuff just to thank our local small businesses. And the, the idea is, as we begin our recovery and open up businesses, we want to really focus 
inwardly because we, though we survived COVID at a much better rate than any other state, we have probably about 80% fewer cases and 80% fewer deaths than a state would that's our size on the mainland. We did suffer a lot of economic uh, difficulty. And that economic difficulty has to be remedied now. And so anything that each of us can do, we should do our part. But we're going to do a lot of it in the coming year. And uh, these people I mentioned are just wonderful small businesses that are surviving. So uh, that plus vaccinations plus getting back to school might just mean that uh, 2021 is okay. <laughs> we All can right. keep our fingers crossed. So if folks want to enter for that, they check out your, your Instagram post? Yeah. So they go to at LTGov Josh Green and we'll do two winners today. And cool. we'll we'll thank everybody, and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep plugging small businesses just so people know about them. Yeah, uh, just knowledge is important, but we also honor people who stuck it out uh, because it was very tough this year. And of so, course. so our Instagram, and uh, and we also try to do a little one minute video to tell people what we just did for the last forty minutes. Um, but we do it in a real condensed thing so people can get that data fast and and get on with their day. Okay, okay, that sounds good. And again, we got to say mahalo to the, the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Mahalo. My, my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Wake up, Wake up. with 94.7 Kumu and the Rise and Drive Morning Show.